Well, we are going to continue our series this morning. And I, I just got to start off by saying one of the things I love about living in Virginia, I was born and raised in Virginia. How many, anybody with me born and raised in Virginia? I know we've got a lot, of, a lot of transplants and stuff too. I love Virginia. It, it, is, it is the best state, easily. And, um, you know, if you don't think so, no perfect people allowed. You know, here, here at Velocity, and so we're, we're very, very open to all that. But one of the things I love about Virginia is we've got such a wide range of experiences. I mean, you know, we get all four seasons, which is amazing. Fall has begun. It's going to be a little bit warm today, but I, I broke out the flannel. I mean, the last couple of days have been, been amazing, and so I've already rolled them up. But that, that, the sleeves up, but that's, that's all right. It's, I love all the seasons. I, we have amazing food. We've got, we've got a little bit enough here, especially in central Virginia, where we've got stuff that, that kind, of, kind of comes from all over the place, but we still got that southern, you know, bent on things that, that is just amazing. You, you know, you just can't beat that. We have mountains on one side. We've got beaches on the other. We've got history all over the place, all that you could, you could hope for. We've got plenty of entertainment, plenty of other things to list as well. It, it is the best state in the country. It, it just is. It wasn't until I lived somewhere else. Were, were there a couple claps, like, for the state of Virginia? I wasn't expecting that. Okay. Go state of Virginia. All right. It wasn't until I lived somewhere else. I lived in Ohio. My wife and I lived in Ohio for about nine and a half years, and it wasn't until I lived somewhere else that I realized just how bad it could be to live somewhere other than Virginia. And, and so we li- Maybe that's not what I meant to say. Uh, we lived in Ohio, and there's some similarities here and there. You know, they've got trees, and they've, they've got grass, and, and, and there are people that live there, and they have cities and towns and all that kind of stuff. But there are some pretty distinct differences there, there as well. But one of the things that, that I really realized as I interacted with people was just how fortunate I was to be able to live here and experience some of the things that I did. For example, having a conversation with somebody, and we talk about visiting Washington, D.C. or something like that, and, and I'd be talking to an adult who said, I've, I've never been there never been to a Smithsonian. I've never seen any monuments or any of that kind of stuff. And I'm just looking at it. I mean, we took multiple field trips in school to D.C. And we go to Williamsburg and Jamestown, all that kind of stuff. And people had never seen things like that. And then, I mean, there are other things that were, that were, that was weirder too. When we first moved to Ohio, when you went to a restaurant and if you'd ordered sweet tea, they didn't know what to bring you. I say, oh, you, you mean you want us to bring you some sugar or sweetener with your tea? No, I just want, I just want sweet tea. Like you, you do that during the brewing process, and they didn't know what that was. It was nine and a half years later that we're, you could actually go and get sweet tea in Ohio, so that was a little different. You know, I can't imagine how, how they lived life before that, but they, they did. The other thing that I came to realize is that there were a lot of people that lived out there that had never been to the beach before. And that was kind of wild. I think they'd heard of the beach before. I think they'd probably seen pictures and maybe some video, but they'd never been to the ocean before. In fact, when you talk to teenagers and, and that kind of thing, they'd say, hey, I'm going to the beach this weekend. I'd look at them and say, oh, which beach are you going to? Thinking they're you know, Virginia Beach, Outer Banks, somewhere else, you know, uh, up and down the, the eastern coast, and they'd be talking about some lake somewhere. I'm thinking, what? what in the world are you talking about? That's not, that's not a beach. That doesn't count. I would, I would scoff at them. There were a couple of different times that I took a couple of different groups of youth groups to the East Coast. We did some mission trips and, and retreats, and when we did that, I would actually schedule in, we'd schedule in a day to go to the beach, because I just can't imagine living life without having experienced that. I think it's just one of those valuable experiences that you have to have. And so I want you, but I want you to put, this, put yourself in this scenario with me. Let's say you've got about 20 teenagers, 
and you've got a day planned at the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And out of those 20 teenagers, let's say 15 of them have never been to the ocean before. So they've never experienced the waves, they've never been on the you know, hot sand, and, and don't take your flip-flops off too early before you get there kind of thing. They've never full, you know, felt the pull and push of the waves. And, and they're, but they're also teenagers, like remember that. So, so they're dumb, <laughs> and they think they know everything, and they think because they can swim and tread water in the deep end in their neighborhood pool, and because they've been to a lake before, that, that they can just get in the water and do whatever they want, you know, just go on out and swim and, and that kind of thing. And you know, as an adult who's responsible for them coming back, you know, it just, it's just not good for, for job security if you come back without, without a kid, right? So, um, you know, you know you got to make sure that they understand what they're about to get themselves into. And so put yourself in that position where you got to take, take these kids and explain to them, all right, here's, not to be, here's how not to be an idiot in the ocean. And, uh, and you got to try to make sure that they pay attention because, because you know, and I know, that if you've been to the beach and you've experienced the pull and push of the waves and you've had a wave crash on you and if you know about riptides and those kinds of things, you got to explain some things. I have this conversation. We, we try to go to the beach as a family once a year, and, and every year my kids want to go further and further out on, on their own, and we have to – my wife and I have three kids, so we got to play zone defense. So we got to say, hey, you can't, can't go out too far. Because you know you're going to have a kid who's like, oh, it's fine, I can swim, so I can go out to my neck, you know, where I can't, can't touch the bottom or something like that, and you know somebody's going to get themselves in trouble. So I want you to imagine trying to describe to someone what it's like who's never been into the ocean. What, what do you say? What, what are you talking Because you, want, you, you don't want to freak them out so bad that they're not even going to get in. You know, because some people come and they're so intimidated by the sounds and the sights and the size of the waves that they won't even get into the water. And so how do you strike that balance to, to know, hey, this is what it's going to be like. This is, you know, when that first touch of cold seawater touches your, touches your toes and it rushes in and it pulls back out and you feel the sand kind of come out from under your feet. You know, it's a really, really cool experience. But also, you've got to have some healthy respect for that because you, you haven't had that experience yet. But you want, you want that person, you want that person to have that feeling. In that sensation, how do you how do you explain those things to them? Because the goal, you know, the goal is not to talk about it so much to the point where you ha- you substitute for that for that experience. You want them to get in themselves. If if that were the case, you know, you wouldn't bother taking them there if you were just trying to describe it all. You could just do that back in Ohio instead of taking all that time to get them out there. And so, you know, our attitude matters. The example we set for the other person matters. I could be fearful or not care about what happens to, to this kid who goes into the water. The consistency in whether or not I fi- follow my own advice when I'm out there matters. And the goal is to introduce them to this thing that they have never experienced to prepare them with wisdom that has been learned or passed down or experienced along the way, but ultimately to take a step back and invite them to participate in this thing. And you might think, man, that's a lot of overthinking about just taking a group of kids to the beach and to the ocean. But I'm thinking about this because as we talk about the mission we have as disciples of Jesus, this is part of the thought process we work through in inviting others to participate with God with us. And so our mission, our mission statement as a church, and we talked about this last couple of weeks, it comes directly from Scripture. It's nothing new. It's not like an organizational thing that we've come up with. It's just us saying, this is what Scripture, this is what Jesus says about who we are supposed to be and what we're supposed to be about. So it's helping people find Jesus and love God. And right there at the heart of it, at the center of that, is we find Jesus. 
And, and that, is, that is the thing, that is the crux, that is the center point, and that is the foundation of who we're called to be to, as disciples of Jesus, to be with him and introduce others to him and invite them into experiencing who he is. You'd be hard-pressed to find anyone in the States who's never heard of the ocean, <laughs> but plenty of people who have not experienced it before. And the same is true with Jesus. It'd be hard-pressed for any of us to find anybody who's never heard of Jesus, but we've probably have people in our lives who've heard of Jesus and maybe formulated some sort of opinion about him based on interactions they've had with other people who call themselves Christians. But there are plenty of people who have not experienced him. And that trend is going to continue. In fact, if things over the next couple of decades continue to go that the, way, the way they are now, as Christianity um, is less and less a part of the favored cultural experience in our country, less than 50% of the population within a couple of decades will be Christians. And so more and more as we think about our mission and Jesus being right there at the center of that, the gospel, the good news that we're called to share with other people, helping people understand who Jesus is and how they are meant to experience him is, becomes more and more and more important in how we approach those things and how we think about those things. So I want you to put yourself in that scenario in which as a Christian who's living on mission, who's taking their discipleship seriously, who's taking the mission seriously and talking to someone who's never heard about or experienced Jesus before, how would you explain Jesus? How would you approach that with someone? Or maybe how have you? There's so many different approaches that we can take, so many descriptors that are given to us throughout Scripture, so many explanations of the gospel that we can refer to, that we can use at different times, and depending on where the person is in their life. But the thing that matters is really whether or not we are prepared in that moment to explain who Jesus is to someone who has not experienced him. Not everyone has grown up near the ocean. Not everyone has grown up near Jesus, and so they don't share the same experiences maybe that we have for people who are Christians now or maybe have grown up in the church, and we, 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 we're kind of used to that. So how, how do we tell others who Jesus is? At the very heart of our mission is the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he continues to do. And so I just want to take a look at one text this morning, and, and there are a couple others that, that we'll look at, but one main text this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, because they're gonna be multiple, multiple, we're going to read it once, because there'll be multiple times that I refer back to it and what Paul has to say there. But we're going to worship through this text this morning. It's written by Paul, who was a consistent evangelist throughout the early church, the early years of the church. He was the guy, the main guy, who was traveling around as much as he could through the known world simply to, to answer that question for, for people. Who, who is Jesus? Who, who is this guy? And, and how do you explain who he is? He's a man who went from being diametrically opposed to Christianity, to Jesus, to encountering Jesus, and from then on traveling and telling people about the gospel as much as humanly possible, and then some. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, after reminding the church in Ephesus of the new life that they now enjoy, despite having been formerly dead in their sins, Paul continues on to remind them that part of their li our life change through Jesus includes joining our life change with Jesus with other people. And so this is what he says, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There's so many, so many roles, there's so many ways in which Jesus is described, so many names in which Jesus is given throughout Scripture that are important to know and to be able to express. And, and there are things that we've talked about before, but in the scope of one sermon and one Sunday, you know, we just can't get into the depth of what all of those things are. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the mediator, the go-between between us and God. Jesus is prophet. He is the messenger of God's word. He is our high priest. He fulfills the requirements of God's commands and leads us in those things. He is our shepherd. He cares for us. He protects us. Jesus is our savior. He is the only sacrifice and a living one at that, that it satisfies God's requirements for our redemption. Jesus is our Lord. He is the only authority for our faith and practice. And Jesus is our king. God has established him on the throne over all creation as the king of the kingdom of God. And in this passage from Paul, many of those aspects are well represented in what Paul says. I mean, this is just another snippet within Scripture of an explanation of the gospel, who Jesus is, what the good news means for us. And so we could look at that and, and see. But there's one thing that really sticks out to me that really gets at the heart of what encapsulates what Jesus does and what God does when he sends Jesus to us that gets to the heart of what so many people are desperate to experience. And in verse 14, Paul simply says, Jesus is our peace. And when he says that, you know, peace, I, I think maybe most of the time when I think of peace, is probably peace and quiet. You know, that's what I'm thinking, just nothing, no, no activity, things going on. Um, I, I would love an afternoon. Yesterday, our family had a great day. Everybody was going all over the place. It was long, though, and I'm tired, and I'm looking forward to some peace and quiet this afternoon, hopefully. When we get into talking about who Jesus is and what he's done, and we come to understand that the peace that Paul is talking about is not just us kind of sitting there and resting and be, being quiet. What he's talking about, the peace that Jesus brings and that, rep that he represents and that Paul's talking about, is ta talking about making everything right. So, so maybe you've heard the word shalom before, the Hebrew word that's a, that's a, that's a greeting before, you know, but between other people. That whole idea of shalom, peace, is how we translate it, is the making of all things right. So the way in which we are peaceful in our relationships with other people is that we correct wrongs. It's not the absence of arguing. It's not that, you know, getting away from tension, ignoring that and being passive-aggressive or whatever it is. It's, it's making things right. It's bringing things into completeness and harmony. 
And so when we think about what people are desperate to experience, anybody who's honest about their life and what they've gone through would admit that a life in which everything is made right, everything is complete, anything that is lacking is, is now, some, something has come in to, to, uh, to give us what we need in that area. Everything is harmonious in our relationships, in our health, in, in our jobs, in our work, in our possessions, all of those things, all of them being made right. That, that is what Jesus has come to do. And anyone who hasn't experienced that kind of peace desperately wants that. And Paul continues on to say that now, because of Jesus and because of him bringing the peace that he brought, there is now no separation between created and creator. Humankind now has the opportunity through Jesus to be reconciled and redeemed to life as it should be. Even the inexplicable things that we feel and experience, the emotions, the anxieties, the stress, the depression, you know, the, the, the fears that we have in our life, the things that we don't know how to get through, how to have peace in those moments, that is the work that Jesus does on the cross, is that he corrects those things and he redeems those things. Because even if, even if we can't wrap our minds around it in the, in the moment, that is the promise that God has made through Jesus and what he does on the cross. There's so much of why the gospel is good news. You go through this Ephesians 2 passage, and you, you can look through it in your, in your Bibles, and every turn, Jesus is making right what is wrong. And so you can see these themes throughout the text. Jesus makes hope for the hopeless. He provides a place for the outsider. He destroys the power of death, provides access to God for all, gives a place for all. And not, not just a place and not just access to God, but, but a community that is built up together, that becomes, becomes a place in which God dwells and works and, and we find purpose and meaning within our beings. Everything that was once broken in our lives has now been made new because of Jesus. And this new life that we share together is being built up into the life that we have been created for with God. And all of this rests on who Jesus is. He is the peace that makes all things right. There are two other scriptures I, I just want to read just in quick succession that, that captures that captures uh, this, this same idea. Hebrews 1, verses 3 and 4, and Revelation 1, 5 and 6. They're going to be up on the screen. Uh, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There are a lot of different ways we could explain Jesus, but many of them fall short. Many of the popular ways in which people think of Jesus fall short. Jesus wasn't just some good guy. Um, he didn't just have some wise teachings that got popular. He is God in the flesh who lived, who died, who rose again, who became a living sacrifice to bring peace in our hearts and our lives in such a way that is wholly unique from any other religious claim. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life 
that makes things right in this world. And do people who claim to be followers of Jesus mess things up in the world? Sure, absolutely. I mean, we can look at fellow, fellow believers, people who claim to be Christians and say, well, you don't, you don't bring a whole lot of peace in this life. I mean, sometimes, sometimes we have distractions and, and things that, that happen that, that keep us from, from experiencing that, that peace. Sure, but there are actually plenty of actual followers of Jesus who are engaged in the same peacemaking foundation upon which he establishes the church. And that's how the church grew then and why it continues to exist and why, why it always will. Because the church doesn't rest just upon an idea of Jesus being able to bring peace to our lives, but on an event. An event witnessed by so many people that regardless of what happened to them or their past or how intelligent they were, or their station in life simply told people what they saw and experienced through the life of Christ. And their lives reflected that because they changed their lives to live the life of Christ as well. I can describe the ocean to you as well as humanly possible, and you might think it sounds great. You can enjoy the idea of it, but it's not until you put your feet in the water that you fully understand. And there's so many facets about who Jesus is, but it's not until you come to the place that you recognize your need for him, that, that need for unattainable peace in our life, for things to be made right, and experience the renewal of life perspective that faith in Christ brings that you begin to appreciate and stand in awe at the vastness of his power and wonder and depths and riches of his mercy and grace that form life at its best. And so when it comes to living out the central part of our mission as disciples, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm talking primarily to, to people who have made that decision to be a disciple of Jesus in this moment right now. Jesus being the one who makes all things right, who brings peace, the operative question is, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say his is, he is? What do you tell other people? As you consider that in your, in your heart and in your mind, what, what are the things that you are telling yourself? How do you explain the richness and depth of his mercy and grace? Is very simply, Jesus, Jesus is the one who makes all things right. He is the one who brings peace. There, there's a moment in which Jesus actually asks this question of his, his disciples, his closest followers, and it's in Matthew chapter 16, verses 3 through, um, uh, starting in verse 13, rather, through 17. And when Jesus comes into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he's traveling with his disciples, he asks them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. And he says to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter simply replies, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You, you are the one. You are the Messiah. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. You, you are the one. There, there just is no other. You, you are it, is what Simon says. And Jesus answers him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so we come to this place where, you know, how we understand who Jesus is and what he means for our life, is that there's really just two options. I mean, you can't, with the claims of Jesus and who he is, with the claims of what it means to be someone who even likes Jesus, I mean, you can really, really only come away with, with, with two choices to him. And that's either to accept him or to reject him. Because anything in between just doesn't fit with who Jesus says he is. Or the, the claim for what he makes, for what he does for our life. 
It's, it's either an all-or-nothing proposition for him. And so when people ask us, who, well, who is Jesus, or who do we say Je- who Jesus is, um, man, Jesus, Jesus is everything. And this is, this is the claim that Peter, Peter makes when Jesus says, who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, Jesus is it. I mean, there, there is nothing. He is the only thing that can make everything else right. And that, that's my encouragement for us when, when it comes to Jesus, when he's the central part of our mission and people want to know, why do you live the way that you do? Or why do we approach things the, the way that we do? The, 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 we've got one answer, and that is Jesus. I mean, he's it. He's the only thing that can make things right. And that's, that's the thing that we want. That's the thing that we desperately want to experience is things to be complete and harmonious and exactly where, where, where God wants things, wants things to be. And I just, I just want to encourage you, if you're a disciple of Jesus, um, and there, there are people who just desperately, desperately want that experience. They, they, want you, they want you to be able to explain it through your life and through, the, through your words, absolutely. But, but people, more than anything, want somebody to invite them to participate in and experience that with, with us, to experience that peace and how we interact with them and how we live. We, we call this thing that Peter says in Matthew chapter 16, we call it the good confession. And when people say yes to Jesus, and throughout Scripture, the, the example of what we do with that, when somebody says, yes, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I want to follow him, I want to make him the thing in my life, the, the next step is always baptism. You know, that, that's the, that is the part in which this symbolic washing away where God does this work in our lives and provides this moment in time where he says, hey, this is, this is where you become something, something completely different. This is where you experience this new life. And we do, every time, every time we baptize someone, we, we go through and we do this, this good confession. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had a baptism, and I just want to throw this picture up on the screen. This is Charlie. Um, and that is his mom. That's his mom baptizing him. Her shirt says raising tiny disciples, by the way, there. I know you can't completely see that. And I, I just got to tell you that I have, I have baptized people and, and look forward to that and want to do that and ha- have that desire and want to help people experience Jesus, that making all things right in the world, more, more than anything else. But to be honest, I'd rather never baptize another person if, if I could have everybody else around me be the ones doing the baptizing. So maybe that's maybe that's not maybe that's not relatable and and, and maybe on a one-on-one conversation we I can I can help to explain that a little a little bit more but when it comes to when it comes to be, being disciples of Jesus and wanting to live that out among other people who do you say Jesus is he, he's the one that makes all things right he's the one that pe- brings peace there there's this moment in which we are called to participate and bring other people to that understanding we're bringing someone to, to the ocean, and we're not just saying, hey, good luck, <laughs> you know, go out there and do the thing, but hey, let me go in with you, and let me, let me show you what, what this looks like, and, and how this experience can, can, can change your life. Let me do this along with you. And so when we, when we come to that understanding that Jesus is the one who makes all things right, um, 
it's great that we can explain that about who Jesus is and why it's good news, but man, he, he wants us to participate in that. And that, that is part of why it is good news, is that we participate in that with, with other people. And so I just want to encourage you as a disciple of Jesus that this is, this is the picture. It's not there anymore. That's all right. Um, this, this is the picture of what God, God calls, us, calls us to do and to be about. It's not the only thing. And, and let me, you know, everything has to come with a caveat, right? Like the, 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 the thought process and idea is that if you have never baptized anybody, then man, you, you know, you're not doing what Jesus called you to do. That, that's not, the point is, just like I said, I'd be, I'd be happy with never baptizing another person if I'm helping other people baptize other people. It, it, you see what I'm saying? Or being a part of that process where we plant that seed that we're, that, to bring people to understand that peace that we find and that we engage in when we, when we come to Jesus. And that, that is a central focus and part of our mission in helping to make things right in the lives of other people. It's helping them along this road, whether we're doing the baptizing or not, that, that we're a part of their lives in such a way where we're planting those seeds, helping point them in that direction. And the other thing that, that I just want to say is um, if, if, you have, if, if you are in this place where you're like, I, I know that I need that peace, and I know that I want that peace, and I, I do believe that Jesus, he is wholly unique from any other approach to life and religion and purpose and meaning than anything else in the world. And if, if you don't understand why that is, we, we can have a conversation some, some other time. I'd love to meet with you. I'll buy you coffee, and, and we'll, talk, we'll talk about those things. Um, but if you recognize that and see that, and, and you haven't taken that next step yet today, I, let me just encourage you. Let me encourage you to really dig down into, hey, who, who do you say Jesus is? And if you come to that conclusion, is he's the only thing that can make something right in my life? Let me just say, this is your next step, if you haven't done this yet in your life, to say yes. And to start that moment, that, that clean slate that continues through eternity for us to say, yes, he has made things right in my life. Even if I don't make every perfect decision from that point forward, he's made things right in my life. Even if I don't always feel like everything is the way that I want, want them to be, he has, he has made things complete and harmonious in my life because I know that it's not based on what I've done, but it's based on what he has done in me and through me. And let me just encourage you, if you haven't taken that next step, do that. Talk to, talk to one of us today. Go to, go to velocitychurch.info and let us know, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with. Or if you have questions, you have doubts, this is a place where you can wrestle with those things. Because the one thing, the, the foundational thing for us is, is Jesus. That he is our peace, that he makes all things right. That he deals with our sin and he destroys it forever so that we can be with him, so that we can build into a new life together and experience the life that God has always created for us to experience. Let's pray together. God, life is, life is hard, it's difficult, it's complicated. There's so many things that go in and out that, you know, in our thinking, in our experiences, God, help us to to rest on the simple foundation of who Jesus is and who we claim him to be in our lives. God, help us to, to get to a point where we can just simply say, you know, Jesus, Jesus is the one who, he, he makes, makes all things right. Through all the roles, for, through all the ways that, that he is described throughout scripture, all the, all the things that he does and fulfills, 
ultimately at the deepest, deepest need that we have in our lives, we, we are separated for, from what allows us to experience true life and un, unhindered life. And it's our sins, our sin that separates us from you. And God, help us to, help us to be able to explain that with our words and with our actions because we have so many people around us maybe that don't know Jesus yet who've never experienced who he is and, and, yet, and yet they need him. God, help us, to, help us to live that out. Help us to um, share just the simple truths of the gospel that change everything for our lives. God, help us to, to be the people who are looking for the opportunities to, to help people experience that life change. We know that we can't do it on our own power, but together and through the Holy Spirit, you're building something greater than, than anything that we could produce on our own. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.